welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Doubt of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. This feels really weird doing this. Buddy must sit and do this with a script. It just feels really weird. All right, so Amy's got a birthday hat on. Amy's, are, we, are we celebrating anything? What's, what's, what's going on, Marla? It's ah. your sixth sober birthday. No way, is it? Yeah, get in there. How'd hey. you do it? How did I do it? Well, well, I've now that you ask, I just happen to have this speech written out, and I just like to, I'd like to thank my mom and dad. And no, do you know, it's, it's been it's been an absolute adventure, and it reminded me that we've been together, Marla, me and you, nearly five years. Because I was I was fourteen months sober when I met you. I w- apparently was not sober when I met you. <laughs> so <laughs> <I'm> now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been great. So do you know, I, I couldn't have done it without you guys because this is the meeting that I come to that actually pushes me. Um, I do a lot of stuff for other people, but this is the one that I come to. This is the meeting that I love coming to. It's the one that I look forward to um, because I get pushed by you guys and I get challenged by you guys as well. So thank you very much for everything you've done. Um, I'd like to thank my sponsor as well who phoned me a day late. Not that I'm casting anything up, but... He phoned me daily to say, shoot, I forgot. Because that's how he speaks. Yeah, so a um, couple of quick announcements before we get going. We've got the Diver Understanding Facebook page. So if you want to join in the conversation, jump in there. We actually post this meeting. So we record this on Zoom and then we post the video to Zoom as well. Um, so if you want to get, in, get involved in the conversation, jump in there. We post the link for the meeting as well. So if you want to get involved in the meeting, actually join the meeting. Um, I think it's is it four p.m. Eastern? Is that is that the yep. time user? Four p.m. Eastern. Yeah. Um, yep. So if you have the time, feel free to join us. Um, what's Buddy's email? Uh, what's Buddy's website address? Is it BuddyC.org? BuddyC.org. BuddyC.org. Jump onto that as well. There's plenty of resources as well. Um, you can get all the books, all the resources that we use for these meetings as well, um, as well as Buddy's meeting. Uh, sorry, Buddy's book. Powerless but not helpless, which is a great read. Um, you can sign up for the daily devotionals as well. So you get a quick two-minute daily devotional emailed out to you. It's a reading from the Tao, a reading from Buddy's book, and what it means in between it as well. So um, please sign up for them. Anything else, anybody else? Anybody else want to mention anything? Amy, the fourth dimension is meeting. Yeah, nightly, 9 p.m. Eastern online meeting for Dimensioners is still rocking. Uh, Zoom aameetings.com. As long as you're signed into Zoom, we'll take you right there every single night at 9 p.m. Eastern. Every single night. How long has that been going? That's that must be coming in its third year. Two two and a half years. Yeah, we started March of 2020. Excellent. So, yeah. It's great that it's still going. Just past my bedtime, though. <laughs> it's just past my bedtime because it's 3 a.m. Over here, and I've actually I've been to a couple of the meetings when I was just lying awake. So I thought I'd just join a couple of meetings. Um, so today we've got Marla, Amy, and Pedro. Pedro, how are you doing? 
Doing well, Craig. Thank you. Excellent. We were just commenting before the meeting how much you look like Mark Ruffalo. And now it's just clicked with Amy. Yeah, because Amy sat there saying, I recognise him. And that's who it is. (laughs) Mark Ruffalo's double. (laughs) So Buddy is at a silent meditation retreat this weekend. Um, So he can't be with us. So he's asked us to to keep the ship going. Who, Who could actually manage a silent meditation retreat? If everybody around you is also silent, you might be able to pull it off. Or you'd feel more inclined to make the most noise. It's really hard to eat silently with people that you're sitting across from and next to, like because you want to talk to them and you have to eat silently and just stare into space. It's very uncomfortable. Maybe that's the point. That's the point, probably, yeah. yeah. I would get thrown out. But I'd be interested to see how they would throw me out. Would they tell me I was thrown out or would they sign me out the door? Would they just point their fingers and give me that look and make me leave? They just tilt their head and go. Yeah, no, I would I would struggle. So this week we're gonna quickly have a recap on the the Byron Katie's the works. Um we'll quickly run through the where we were last week, we got to the inquiry and then we'll jump on to the turnaround, which is turning the statements around for us. So just quickly so we know what we're doing. The inquiry, we've done the judge your neighbour worksheet. Now, I love judging your neighbour. It's doing somebody else's inventory and really telling myself what's wrong with them. Um and she actually asks you to be very judgmental and very petty when you're actually doing these things. So you're, you're having a look at people and you're, you're taking them inventory, telling them what's wrong with them. And some of the questions that she, she asks you to ask yourself once you've done it. So I'll just quickly read the part that says, the work is meditation. It's like diving into yourself. Contemplate the questions, drop down into the depths of yourself, listen and wait. The answer will find your question. The answer will find your question. I struggled with that to start with. No matter how closed down or hopeless you think you are, the gentler polarity of mind, which I call the heart, will meet the polarity that is confused because it hasn't yet been enlightened to itself. You may begin to experience revelations about yourself and your world, revelations that will transform your whole life forever. Let's look at the statements that you have written. So when you're doing this worksheet, if if you've done the worksheet, Pull it up in front of you and ask yourself these questions. Is it true? Reality for me is what is true. So if I'm asking myself, if I'm, so I brought up the conversation uh, last week, the buddy sticks up for everybody else and doesn't take my sides. I usually trip myself up when I say, is it true? And I have to really sit back and think, you know what? It's not true. Um, so some of these statements we can actually, um, we can actually head off very quickly just by asking ourselves the genuine question, is what I think about this person really true? The second question, can you absolutely know that it's true? So the first one is, Craig, is that really how it is? And I'm like, yeah, of course it is. Then I'm like, Craig, is it really how it is? Are you sure that's how it is? (laughs) Can I absolutely know that it's true? 
can I absolutely 100% know that it's true? The third question we would ask ourselves is, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? So with this question, we begin to notice internal cause and effect. You can see that when you believe the thought, there is an uneasy feeling. A disturbance that can range from mild discomfort to fear or panic. I would notice thoughts like people should be more loving, and I would see that thoughts like these caused a feeling of easing of uneasiness in me. I noticed that prior to the th- prior to the thought, there was peace. My mind was quiet and serene. This is who I am without my story. So this is me without. This is how I am without. Um, put my perceptions and my judgments onto people. The fourth question is, who would you be without the thought? Now, this is a very powerful question. Who or what would you be without the thought? How would you be without the thought? Visualize yourself standing in the presence of the person you have written about when he or she is doing what you think he or she shouldn't be doing. Now, just for a minute or two, close your eyes and imagine who you would be if you didn't even have the ability to think this thought. How would your life be different in the same situation without the thought? Okay. So for many people, life without their story is literally unimaginable. They have no reference for it. So I don't know is a common answer to this question. Other people answer by saying, I'd be free, I'd be peaceful, I'd be more loving person. So if I was to look at it for myself, if I was to be less judgmental on people, uh, I think I would I would definitely have a sense of ease, a sense of peace. And you know what? I would probably have a lot more free time on my hands rather than having to spend all this time judging people. <laughs> a lot more headspace for things that are more important, you know? That's exactly it, yeah. <laughs> so any comments on that that we've read before we move to turn it around? Can you ever really know if it's really true? And isn't it all relative to your current circumstances, maybe? What was true for me a few years ago may not be exactly true for me today. That's for sure. What we're looking at in this instance is, is what I'm saying about others, or are my thoughts about others, or are my perceptions of others true? So I very easily convince myself that I am, I know that such and such as a lazy beggar at work, I don't even look at him as a co-worker because he doesn't even do any work. But then I have to ask myself in those moments of, um, in those moments of, of peace and calm, is it true? Does he actually do any work? Do I really think that about this person? So it's not really asking the questions about myself. It's asking the questions, is it really true what you're thinking about the person? So the thoughts about the thoughts I have about myself and where I am or where I've been, you know, that's that's not really what we're looking at at the moment. It's it's really what we're thinking about other people. Marla? So um, yeah, I'm sorry to have interrupted. I formed a judgment about AA meetings at the beginning of my recovery journey. And it was like a blanket feeling. It was a blanket judgment that meetings like this, I should never, ever go to because I hate all the people. Was that true? 
No. There was nothing true about it. But you know what? How do you see that at the be- when you're on the at the beginning of inquiring about these matters? You, I mean, I had to come to a conclusion about AA. It's not that bad. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. <laughs> but I had to take time to come to that conclusion. You know, time to find out if it was true or not. Now it is. Now it is true for me. I didn't know it right away. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah, so, so in the first instance, you, you weren't that open-minded about AA. You were probably the exact same as 99.9% of the people that end up going to AA or step into the first meeting, whether they stick to it or not, that's entirely up to them. But we all, we, we seem to have this jaded thought that I didn't want to go to AA. It wasn't. It wasn't just a, a thought one morning when I woke up, thought, you know what, I'm going to go to an AA meeting today, you know, see what happens. It was actually a friend that says to me, when I, I, I confided in somebody, he said, look, I'm really struggling with my drinking. And he says, well, do you know what, why don't we take you to an AA meeting? I said, I don't want to go there. My doctor keeps telling me to go there. Why do I want to go there? Just a room full of drunks. What are these people going to, what are these people going to teach me? So I was very, I was very narrow-minded and very closed-minded about an AA meeting because I didn't understand it. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was going to what was going to be going on there. Same, you know. I, I, and I had no nobody explained it to me ahead of time. You know, I, I just like got thrown into rehab and then popped out on the other side. Like, go to ninety meetings in ninety days. I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't know anything. That's a problem with rehabs, so, though. But true, truth. I think what changed my mind about AA and the meetings, not, not so much not so much AA at the time, but if we were focusing on the meetings, what changed my mind about the meeting was when I actually got the courage to go to the meeting. And if you want to look at it in the context of what we're doing, was what I thought about it true? And what I found out is it was the exact opposite. Everybody was so loving. Everybody was so welcoming. And do you know what? Everybody knew why I was there. <laughs> I wanted to sneak in at the back just so nobody would come in and, you know, because I don't have a drink problem. But everybody everybody knew. And everybody was so loving and accepting of it, and I didn't have to worry about it. But I didn't know that at the time before I went through. Now I'm completely open-minded when I go to a meeting. But I still have that feeling when I go to some new meetings, I think to myself, oh, man, do I, do I still really want to go to this? Do I need to go to this? And if I have looked at it, you know, is it true? Yeah, do you know what? Yeah, you really need to go to it. It always is the truth. And whenever I don't want to go is when I force myself to go. And I'm glad I went, you know. But I, I always I have quick judgments also. If I'm sitting at a table and I hear somebody, I can immediately judge somebody like, oh, they're going to talk for five minutes. I can like easily pick that person out and judge them because I know they're going to say something I don't need to hear. (laughs) I don't know. It's, and you know, that rabbit hole of I'm going to shut this person down right away before she even speaks, you know, that type of judgment. And there's no truth to it at all. I usually find that person that's going to ramble. That's the person that I really need to be listening to. Because they're going to be rambling for a reason, and God's put me there for a reason. And he's like, Craig, you're going to shut up, and you're going to listen to this person. 
And then, you know, sometimes I, I take the most away from the people that I dislike the most. Anything else on that? No? Right, Amy, do you want to take it away with Turn It Around? Yes. Turn It Around. To do the turnaround, find opposites of the original statement on your worksheet. Often a statement can be turned around to the self, to the other, and to the opposite. First, the turnaround to the self. Write it as if it were about you. Where you have written someone else's name, put yourself. Instead of he or she, put I. For example, Paul doesn't listen to me. Turns around to, I don't listen to myself. Find at least three specific genuine examples of how this turnaround is as true as or truer than your original statement. Next is the turnaround to the other. Paul doesn't listen to me because I don't listen to Paul. A third type is a 180 degree turnaround to the extreme opposite. Paul doesn't listen to me becomes Paul does listen to me. Don't forget, for each turnaround, find at least three specific, genuine examples of how the turnaround is true for you in the situation. This is not about blaming yourself or feeling guilty. It's about discovering alternatives that can bring you peace. Not every statement has as many as three turnarounds, and some have more than three. Some turnarounds may not make any sense to you. Don't force these. For each turnaround, go back and start with the original statement. For example, he shouldn't waste his time. Maybe turned around to, I shouldn't waste my time. I shouldn't waste his time. And he should waste his time. The turnarounds are a very powerful part of the work. As long as you think that the cause of your problem is out there, as long as you think that anyone or anything else is responsible for your suffering, the situation is hopeless. It means that you are forever in the role of the victim, that you're suffering in paradise. So bring the truth home to yourself and begin to set yourself free. It's no longer necessary to wait for people or situations to change in order to experience peace and harmony. The work is the direct way to orchestrate your own happiness. That sounds really simple, doesn't it, Amy? But does it? I mean, it does sound simple in theory, yes. But the actual application of it, that key right there, I think the key to all of this, even though I wasn't here last week, as long as you think that anyone or anything else is responsible for your suffering, the situation is hopeless. It's getting past that blame game. It's getting past that. It's your fault. If you didn't do this or if you did that, then I wouldn't be this or I wouldn't be that. Forever in the role of the victim. Mm-hmm. Yep. To even yep. be responsible for my own suffering is is a hard concept to to grasp, especially early in recovery it was. I was like, what do you mean? It was his fault. It was their fault. If the cops hadn't pulled me over, I would have gotten arrested for deep. You know what I mean? Like all of that stuff. Um, I think what it's also saying is that nobody else is nobody else is responsible for your happiness. It's up to you. Your your happiness is up to you. There is 
Go ahead. So a big, to me, like a big fourth step is that like every time I, I delve deeply into why am I feeling like this about that? It, number one, I try to get to the truth of it. And if it's true, I'm always wrong about that person. I don't know. I'm sorry. I forgot what I was going to say. No, I think this is why it's important because I interact with a lot of people as well that are, and I really shouldn't judge because I have sponsored myself as well. Okay. I have done it. <laughs> we all have. I've sat and done a fourth step with myself and I've even done a fifth step with myself. But when it gets to the part where it says, you know, what's your part in it? And I think this is really what what's getting to what I'm seeing in this turnaround statement is, you know, what's your part? Is, is it really true? You know, this is your partner, Craig. I was blind to my partner because I didn't want to see my partner. Whereas I think that's why it's more important to do a fifth step with somebody that's completely impartial and who's not scared to challenge you on what you're saying. So they would say, is that really true? You know, what's your partner, Craig? Oh, I have no partner. You know, just I was there. <laughs> is that true? You had something, Amy? I mean, I mean, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts, but it it went away. So I, I will, yeah, no, I, I will go back. You know, nothing happens in 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 God's world by mistake, as the big book would say. Nothing. There are no coincidences. Literally, had a conversation uh, with someone last night. Um, Almost the exact, not these words, but the exact, the saying, you know, as long as it's no longer necessary to wait for people or situations to change in order to experience peace and harmony. I literally said to her, as long as you're looking out there for validation, you'll never get it. And it's, and it's really not up to me to give you that. Um, I can encourage, I can support. Um, I can share my experience and I can, you know, I can, I can be an example of what it looks like on the other side of the bullshit sober still, but I can't do it for you. I can't feel your feelings. I can't, I can't, um, I can't be your self-worth really. That's a good way to put it. Can't be your self-worth. That reminds me of a Pema Children book I'm reading with uh, one of my sponsees. And you know how all these things crop up and you think, that's funny, I've just heard that somewhere else as well. Or there's that line of thinking somewhere else. This is cropping up quite a lot for me recently. And Pema Children, um, her book was um, Get Comfortable with Being Uncomfortable. And it's to do with a lot of self-examination. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I don't like this book. <laughs> this, this, this book's highlighting all my faults. It's making me actually look at myself and sit and think, you know, who am I to sit and have these thoughts about other people? Pedro? Yeah, you know, Craig, um, the way I see it, I, I don't know, when you, for me at least, when you try or you do this, the work, you may come up with two things. One of that is that what your thought is true and it may happen. And the second thing is that um, it points you 
to show you what defect you have, you know, a character defect or something like that. I can give you um, a real example. I think I, I quickly mentioned to you this week that I was a little piece if with my work, my job, especially my um, my leader, I mean my manager. I hope she's not hearing, listening to this podcast. But uh, um, I sent her a lot of messages this week, on the beginning of this week, and she didn't reply to me with things that I really needed her. And in, I mean, immediately I started to, to believe that, uh, well, something is going on, something is happening, I don't know, or something is about, something bad is about to happen with my job or in the projects, I don't know, that I'm, that I'm working on. And uh, I just got to talk to her today. I mean, before this meeting. Yesterday, I read the work because I was re- listening to the podcast because I, I, I lost the last part of last week. And I started to think, what if I'm wrong? What if nothing is happening? What if she's only busy? And, you know, that's what happened. She called me today and she said that she had this huge issue, emergency that she was taking care of. And it just showed to me how spoiled I am, you know, uh, needy. Because, you know, I the problem was not on her. That's not, I mean, it was not her problem. It was with me, with my expectations, what I was expecting. You know, that's what this showed me. I'm sure it was Mark Twain that says most of the things that 80% of the bad things that have happened are in my head. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of the things that he's thought were going to happen never actually happened. And all of his bad thoughts were, were just in his head. So we, um, what happened, what happens if you text your sponsor? And he didn't get back to you. What would you think then? He doesn't care. Yeah. But today I think he's busy. But no, yeah, yeah. So, so if, if you go if you go to that, he doesn't care. Ask yourself, is that true? Yes. Exactly. That's really what this is. That, that that's really what this is asking us to do. You know, examine that yes. that first thought that we have. You know, it doesn't care about me. Is that really true? Does your sponsor not care? Or does your sponsor maybe live five hours ahead of you and you need him at 10 o'clock at night and it's really three o'clock his time? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't do that. <laughs> no, it's just, it's exactly what happened with me this week with my, with my boss. You know, it's exactly what happened. I don't, I mean, uh, this, this helped me. I think I told you that this week, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's, yep, yep. that's exactly what happened. And it was, it wasn't 10 o'clock Brazil time. I was just making that up just to just give the example of the fact that, you know, if yeah, you take something at 10 o'clock at night, you know, it could be, could be three o'clock. And I'm just like, oh, you know, and then I wake up in the morning, there's a text from Pedro. So, I get back to Pedro. Then Pedro doesn't text me back because it's eight o'clock my time, which is four o'clock Brazil time. Well, Pedro's fell out with me because he's not texted me back. 
<laughs> and I think to myself, yeah. is that true? No, Pedro's still in his bed. Yeah. So we really need to we really need to look at the thoughts of you know, is it true? And I can usually stop myself when I come to that first question. I say, well, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Pedro has fell out of me. Craig, is it really true? Is it really, really true? Or is he maybe? Is it maybe at work? Is it maybe in a meeting? Is it maybe taking some time with his family? You know, there may be something else going on. Yes. Okay. Anything else on that one? I like the part where it says this is not about blaming yourself or feeling guilty. It's about discovering alternatives that can bring you peace, which is more or less just exactly what we were just saying. Mm-hmm. And it's the same when we had, when I was doing my, my eighth step. I don't know if anybody else has had this experience as well. When I was doing my eighth step, I kind of felt really bad about myself when I found out all these people I'd actually harmed. And when I was talking to Buddy about it, when I was doing it, I was like, I'm, I'm really struggling with this because... I feel really shit about myself. I feel really bad and, and guilty about all the stuff that I've been doing. And that's when he says that, you know, the eighth step is not an exercise in making yourself feel, feel guilty. Your eighth step is just highlighting the people that you need to go make amends to. And if you are struggling with an eighth step, let's, let's do a gratitude list on the people that you're doing that are coming up on your eighth step list. That kind of made it a little better. Yeah. You know, there's so much that you can use this stuff on, the, the turnaround. Um, I used it, you know, when I was think, you know, when I started to try and reconcile my past and, you know, all the things that my parents supposedly did to me. Um, you know, it was turning all of that around that helped me really forgive them also for the supposedly things that they did. That was my truth, what they did, but what I thought they did, their truth was completely different also, you know, that they just by what the way they were raised, what they were, you know, what, how they lived. That's how they were influenced. I had a conversation with my sister and me and my sister didn't get on in the early years. I'm I'm a middle child, okay, which probably explains a lot of things about me. Um, and my sister was like, she's like, why didn't you like me when we were growing up? And when I said I sat back and I said, it's because you came along and you took mum and dad's love away from me because I was the baby until you came along. Sounds reasonable. That's what I thought as well. But then she's like, look, I didn't have a choice in it. I came along. <laughs> She did not have a choice. <laughs> it's not as if she came along and took things away from me. That was my perception of it. You know, all of a sudden, I'm mum and dad's favourite because I'm the youngest. I'm getting all this love and attention. And now somebody else comes along and now they're getting all that attention. Now, how are you? You mean, you're not, as a kid, supposed to be able to think philosophically or rationally even about how you feel you know it it whenever your baby sister was born i'm sure you weren't mature enough to think it's out of her control that she was born <laughs> she was just born i shouldn't be mad at her mad at her yeah but i was 
you know, should I have been mad at mom? Should I have been mad at mom and dad? Didn't know any better. Now I'm 43 and I still struggle to think rationally as well. So you know, I don't think it's just a kid's thing. But it was a conversation we had this week. You know, you took mum's love away from me. I think, is it true? No, it wasn't. It wasn't true. My mum and dad decided to give it away. <laughs> she was adopted. I keep saying that to her. I keep, I keep saying that. In fact, my son keeps telling my daughter that. My son's 12 and my daughter's 24. And anytime mm. my daughter comes along, we'll be sitting watching Star Wars or something. Just we'll be watching like we like watching these factual programs like Star Wars and the Avengers and that sort of thing. And my daughter doesn't have a clue what's going on. And she'll ask something. And my son will say, Look, Dad, I don't think we need a DNA test. It's an IQ test. We need for Caitlin. She must have been adopted. <laughs> so that's just a, a recurring theme every time she comes along. You, you were adopted. The turnaround for statement six. Okay, so the turnaround for statement six on your judge your neighbour worksheet is a little different from the other turnarounds. I don't ever want to turns around to I am willing to and I look forward to. For example, I don't ever want Paul to lie to me again turns around to I am willing to have Paul lie to me again and I look forward to Paul lying to me again. These turnarounds about embracing all of life just as it is, saying and meaning I am willing to, creates open-mindedness, creativity and flexibility. Any resistance you may have is softened and that allows you to open up to the situation in your life rather than keep hopelessly applying willpower to eradicate it or push it away. Saying and meaning I look forward to actively opens you to life as it unfolds. Some of us have learned to accept what is, and I invite you to go further and actually love what is. This is our natural state. Freedom is our birthright. It's good to acknowledge that the same feelings or situation may happen again, if only your thoughts, sorry, if only in your thoughts. When you realize that suffering and discomfort are the call to inquiry and to the freedom that follows, you may actually begin to look forward to uncomfortable feelings. You may even experience them as friends come, sorry, as friends coming to show you what you have not yet investigated thoroughly enough. I don't know if anybody's had to make amends. I didn't look forward to it. I did not look forward to making any amends at all. And I don't know how Amy, I don't know how Amy does the amends, but the way I do it, we have three amends with three types of amends. The amends that we're going to make immediately. The ones that we'll make next and the ones that we might not ever make. But the way that I worked through mine was that I didn't really look forward to doing it. So we'll do the easy ones first. We'll do the friends and family, do the immediate friends and family. And then after that, you're kind of realizing that it's not as bad as you made it out to be. So you kind of, I wouldn't say you're kind of enjoying it. I think that's too much of a struggle. I've never enjoyed making amends, but you get comfortable with it. Is that, a fair, is that a fair statement, though? You get comfortable with making amends? You make, you, you get you comfortable. You mean you make? You get comfortable lower. With the process. With the process, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so for me, I, I just, I'm jumping in there. I think it just depends on 
the amends. Like I can, it was quite the opposite for me. The one that I did not want to make the most was the first one I started with. But I'm a rip the bandaid off kind of chick. I'm like, just freaking do it because it's going to suck. Embrace the suck. Do it. And then I got through it. And so for me, that then made the other ones more tolerable. Right? So it's it's interesting that you started one way. I started the opposite. But we ended up making amends. Hmm. And I think I've I think I've just about got through got I've got through just about all of the amends, even the ones that I didn't want to make. The ones that were obvious and apparent then, because like even I think it's still just a process. I think it's um, it's for me at this point just staying. I guess I'm. I don't like to say I've completed anything about recovery because for me completed is. Anything ending in id, completed, makes it past tense, I'm done. I don't want to ever be done. I want to continue to seek and continue to grow. And for specifically the amends that we're talking about, I just need to stay open-minded and willing to make whatever amends pops up. I mean, I didn't have one of the policemen on my list to make amends to that arrested me one night. I didn't have him on my amends. It just wasn't on my radar because I didn't, you know, I wasn't resentful at that police officer. I, I wasn't afraid of that police. Everything that comes with the inventory resentment fear, you know, sex and harm done others, whatever. None of that stuff popped up. But when I ran into that police officer at a store I absolutely took advantage of the opportunity to say, you know what? I was a dick that night. Thank you for potentially saving my life by taking me to jail because I could have continued to drink myself to death that night. I could have continued to beat on my husband and him beat on me. And we could have both ended up dead that night. So I think just, just being willing you know, just being aware and willing um, to do to go to any lengths to to keep growing, I think is is really the key at this point for me. Mm-hmm. I, I let, it's like cleansing, mm-hmm. you know. And I think what this is trying to ask us is to um, have this more of an auto response to go as a go to rather than our usual reaction overreaction that in my my own experience i'm an overreactor um automatically changing the dialogue in the moment that's the training for me i think that's what i need to work on that's my work also the amends that i need to make are to myself and i can't seem to get through those. I can't seem to make them and mean it and feel it. So I'm also working on that a lot. Making, because whenever I'm mad at somebody, it's only, it turns around to me. It's because I'm mad at me, not them. So just a work in progress. I will never be done with this until I'm dead. So that comes back to one of part of what I read. 
it is, does it mean for you that you're forever in the role of victim, even to yourself, that you're suffering in paradise or bringing the truth home to set yourself free? Like, and what does bringing yourself home really mean? Is it that you're a bad person or doing bad things? Or is it just you were programmed to think that your perception of what is going on is bad? Yes, that's the second one. And so I'm working on, yeah, I'm working on flipping the dialogue and like, there's, I'm not bad. There's nothing wrong with me. I don't intentionally do bad things. That type of dialogue, you know, where I'm trying to, you know, write myself and balance it out. I am, you know, a perfectly harmless human being and I try not to harm anybody else out there. That's the best I can do. And every day I do the best I can do. And I, so I need to get right with that. I'm working on it. So if you, if you try your best and if you're, if you don't harm anybody out there, why do you think you harm yourself? Or do you? Self punishment. Yeah. So why can't, is it that you have a hard time extending the same grace to yourself that, that you do to other people? Because usually it's the other way around. Well, I don't want to say usually. That's been worse. No, I, I give everybody a red carpet. I have really not much grace for myself. I think I called myself this morning. You're going to have to edit this out. A fucking bitch whore for something oh. I was talking about myself. And I immediately caught it like, don't talk to yourself like that, you fucking bitch. I didn't say it like that, but I just can't talk. You know, you can't, I can't talk to myself like that because I would never talk to anybody else like that. It's, it's not right. It's not healthy. And I know it and I'm aware of it. So it's all of that. It's the, the shame of the addiction is really the bottom line of it. So you could say, is it true? Is it really, really, really true? Well, no, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, are these things I'm thinking about myself true? Mostly not. Mostly not. Mostly not. I don't think you're the only person that's hard on yourself. I am the only person that's hard on myself. (laughs) For no particular reason. Just the way I've always done it. I I can be pretty harsh on myself sometimes as well. And I can't remember who said it, but I read that if I spoke to if I spoke to my friends the way that I spoke to myself, I, I would very quickly find that I didn't have any friends. That's what I just said. Was like I would mm. never talk to a friend like that. Yeah, I should be my own best friend. Aren't aren't we all harder with ourselves than with others? I mean, um. The Zeppo Craig said, uh, it's pretty much the same with me. I don't think, I, I don't know. I don't even think that I like it myself in the past. I mean, uh, I always tend to think that I would be the one that who wouldn't get it, who wouldn't make it, who would be the worst. And I, and I wasn't, but that's how. We are, I used to think, and uh, sometimes I don't know why I, I still do that. 
I still do that. I always think that something wrong is going to happen with me, not with someone else. I mean, I, mean, I don't know if that's something that everyone does or mm-hmm. only people who suffered from something like alcohol and this type of stuff. Like when I joined here, I when I joined IRE, I used to see everyone posting X years, X years. And I was, and I used to think of myself, Oh, are you going to be the only one who won't stop drinking? You know, that's sometimes we're just not fair with us. I, 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 I don't know how to solve that or if it's something that can happen, but uh, that's how I feel too, Marla. I did used to feel like that. I'm going to be one of those unfortunates because I, I, I haven't had a really great recovery. I've had like four years at a time. That's about it. Um, but I have. Okay, but wait, 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 wait. I'm interrupting you. I haven't had that great of recovery. I've only had about four years. Can we just flip the script there? Holy shit, Marla, you were sober for four freaking years. I know it's great. I know what four years a lot, Marla. I'm not even close. I know. Diagnosed. I guess my point was, it's like stops and starts with recovery. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really my, obviously the my addiction that keeps me uh, feeling so self-involved. I think sometimes that voice in your back head can be helpful because it does kind of give you that impetus to strive and push yourself a little bit. Yeah. Cause I don't want to feel like this, you know, yeah. I really don't have, it's, it's not the way I want to feel, you know, I, I can change it. Yeah, but I think it really depends on what voice you want to listen to. What you know, it's like the two wolves. The two wolves inside your head, which one's gonna which one's gonna win? It's the one that you feed. The one I'm gonna learn to feed is the good one, like telling mm-hmm. me that I'm telling me I'm fine. And I'm doing just fine. Yeah. Give yourself a partner back. And do you know what? It bugs me as well, Amy. The one, the people that come and say, you know, I've only got four days, and you're like, holy shit! Do you know what? Four days. Four days I can go four hours. There was a time I couldn't go four hours without coming home and having a drink. Do you know what? Four days is absolutely incredible. I remember, I remember when I was, I was about a week sober, and I was changing beds, and I was Hoover, and I was doing this, that, and then I was like, she's like, what is going to you? I was like, nothing. I'm just not drinking. I'm just so much more productive. You know, I'm actually enjoying what I'm doing, and I've only got a weekend. I'm I'm only a weekend, I'm, but then having putting that only in, I've limited, I've limited my achievements. Yeah, and then I'd go back out and drink again because I think you know what, I, I'm not really succeeding because I'm I'm only at seven days, and again I was surrounded myself by people that have got years and years behind them. Then, but then being, you know, around people and in the program long enough, you hear that people who've been in the program with great recovery for long periods of time go out. They go back out. So it doesn't, you know, four days sobriety is awesome. I remember, you know, I remember those days. I don't want to ever go back there. I think now I though I have, should I ever relapse again? No evil eye on that one, but I have better tools to quickly turn me around again to get back on the wagon. Putting plug in the jug. 
Plug in the jug. <laughs> right, anything else before we finish up? I think we're going to the questions, questions and answers next week. I wonder what you were going to do for your sixth uh, sobriety birthday. Well, it was yesterday. Oh. Um, I was, no, no, it's, no, no, it's, no, it's, it's fine. You know, I can't control the fact we record this on a Thursday. In fact, next year, next year it actually falls on the day that we record. So provided that, don't mess it up. <laughs> we can all dress up with the party hats. Um, my wife got me a celebration cake and she brought me some chocolate. So oh, I've been sitting and get my way through that and um, just the love that I've had from I didn't realize that I knew so many people so when I the work that I do with RE the recover elevator if anybody hits a milestone I'll always send them a little text just say like you know huge congratulations on one year or six months or whatever it is they're doing and you know I'll, I'll always send them some some little message I didn't appreciate how many people were going to text me this year and it's not something that's happened before I just take it for granted. I just send the text out and that's it. Um, but I didn't realize how many people were going to text me. And it's just, it's, it's actually been really nice because you don't realize how many, how many people you actually get involved with and how many people you actually help until they come back. And I think this is one of the, the great things about what we're doing here is the fact that you never know, you never know who you're helping just by reaching out and saying, like, you know, well done. Uh, and it's exactly what we're talking about there. You know, there's no only. There's no only in what we're doing, you know. You, you've done this, and just that one, that one little message to say, like, "Congratulations on a week." That's absolutely a phenomenal achievement. It can make the difference between, you know, somebody feeling they've achieved something they haven't. So, um, so that's what I've done. I, I said I was actually I, my sponsor phoned me a day late to congratulate me, and we, we were having a laugh about it last week because um, anytime this crops up, he's like, "Look, my dog's been sober longer than you, haven't you?" Want you know, would you want a pat on the back? So I've seen him this year on a, an airplane with a big skyline, like the, the sky right in the back of it. Um, but he failed to deliver on that one. But he did phone me a day later to congratulate me. Even though he was supposed to be on a silent retreat, that's really nice of him. Broke his silence for you. No, Craig, you're great. To, you're a great person to know in this fellowship because you have a really strong recovery. And those are the people I need to stick with, the winners. My mentor, Robin Sharma, calls it your circle of influence. Who's in your circle of influence? People I want to be like. Who's, yep, who's, who's in that group of people that's yeah. going to pick you up and help you along and you know, tell you you're doing great? Anything else before we finish up? Just another alcoholic's going to pick you up and go pat you on the back. No one else. <laughs> no one else out there except another alcoholic. Everybody have an amazing week. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank uh, you we'll, next week. we'll finish off next week with the questions and answers. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.